0: Unstoppable CEO Podcast with Steve Gordon.
1: Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon, and you guys are in for a treat today. This is uh, going to be a special interview, uh, particularly if you're interested at all in growing your business. I imagine that's pretty much everybody that's listening. Today, I'm speaking with Jay Baer. Jay helps businesses clone their customers. He's created five multi multi-million-dollar companies and is a seventh generation entrepreneur He's the president of Convince and Convert, a firm you've probably heard of. They're a consulting firm that helps the world's most iconic brands like the United Nations, Nike, 3M, and Oracle use technology to win customers and keep the customers that they've already earned, which is really important. He's a New York Times bestselling author of five books, and he is the host of the award-winning Social Pros podcast. Says he's, uh, he's also an avid tequila collector and a certified barbecue judge. We may actually just change topic and talk about barbecue today, Jay. Welcome to The Unstoppable CEO.
0: Steve, thank you very much. I would be happy to do that. We're also uh, recording this on a Friday, so I'd be delighted to talk about tequila too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's almost that time. So It is indeed. I would love for you to give uh, give everybody a little bit of, of context kind of around your background. I mean, we, we've heard kind of the highlights, but how did you get to yeah. this point in your career?
0: Uh, you know, I think like everybody else, it's a, it's a winding road that makes a little bit of sense in retrospect. It made no sense at the time. I started in politics. I was a political campaign consultant, ran political campaigns as a young man. Got out of that business. It's not a real excellent family friendly career choice. Uh, And I got into traditional marketing, working for a big corporation for uh, a few years. And I left there and worked for the government for about 20 minutes as a spokesperson. And I really, really, really did not like working for the government. And I uh, ended up having beers with some friends of mine from college who had started the very first internet company in Arizona, where I'm originally from. And they said, you know, this uh, internet company of ours is uh, getting a little bigger. We don't know anything about marketing. I said, well, that's okay, because I don't know anything about the internet. In fact, I don't even really know what that means. This was 1993, Steve. But I said, I'll do anything to not work for the government again. And so I walked in and quit and started an internet company, having never really been on the internet. This is the days of Prodigy and AOL, CompuServe. And I've only done two smart things in the last 25 years. One is to convince my wife to marry me. And it definitely required a lot of convincing. And two, to have the good sense to get involved in digital marketing in 1993 and not get uninvolved. So since then, I've had a series of consulting firms and uh, helped a lot of different brands get better at digital marketing. I've written a lot of books and given a lot of speeches. And and here we are. I just kind of keep putting one foot in front of the other.
1: Wow, 1993. I didn't even know the internet existed in 1993. Well, it barely did. I mean, mean, here's a true
0: story to give you a sense of this. Uh, When I started, domain names were free. You could buy whatever (laughs) domain name you wanted, and you didn't have to pay for it because who would want such a thing? It had no practical or commercial (laughs) value. So much so that my partners and I, in that first internet company in 1993, we sold Budweiser.com. To Anheuser Busch for fifty cases of beer. That is true. (laughs) That is one hundred percent true. So yeah, it was uh, it was early days for sure.
1: Well, that's that's not actually not a bad price. Probably I don't know fifty cases of beer. I mean
0: back then I mean I mean I'm not kidding. We're like man we did great on that. That's a lot of beer.
1: Right. Oh, that's funny. I I mean, in internet years, you've got to be like 200 years old or something. Oh
0: yeah. I'm like a, like a wizard of some sort.
1: Yeah. So clearly it it probably wasn't a a perfectly straight line path, all (laughs) perfect success from that point to today. Mm -hmm. As you think over the years, when you've run into challenging situations and into even roadblocks, what what do you do to kind of, push past those is there a particular way you like to think about them or way you approach those things yeah
0: yeah there really is and and it's particularly um particularly relevant this week uh, my new book just came out three days ago uh and less than a day before the book launch my father passed away
1: oh my goodness i'm so sorry uh,
0: thanks just yeah just monday this week and and uh he he told me something and and he told me it several times, but I I rely on it a lot, um, and and especially this week. He used to always tell me that things are are never going as good as you think they are, and they're never going as bad as you think they are. And uh, that was really useful this week, and it's been useful many many times in my career. I, I try to keep a pretty even keel. Like you know, I'm I get disappointed like the next person, and I get excited like the next person. But but I try to um, not get too wrapped up in the victories or the defeats because I know that the next opportunity, the next at-bats right around the corner.
1: That's tremendous advice. Uh, I think I think we all tend to, w- when things aren't going well, we tend to take it a little bit deeper than than maybe we should. And when things are, are flying high, I think we, we often believe we're invincible. Um, I don't think either of those states of mind helps push us forward, but uh, I think that's tremendous advice and I think worth worth everybody listening, actually taking pen to paper, write that down. And and, uh, next time you're in a situation where you need it, pull that out. I think it'd be hugely helpful to you. So Jay, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you just had a book that was released. Um, that's, you've done five that have been pretty wildly successful. Um, that's not an easy thing to do. Just writing it is not an easy thing to do. Um, when when you think about putting this book together um, and, and the time that it took, obviously you have something important to get across. Otherwise, you wouldn't have invested the time. What, is, what do you think is most important about this particular book that, that you want to get across to folks?
0: Yeah, this, thanks. This is my sixth. And, and you know, you're right. I'm not going to write one just to write one. Um, I wrote this one with my good friend, Daniel Lemon. It's called Talk Triggers. The Complete Guide to Creating Customers with Word of Mouth. And the the key lesson here and the imperative for this book, Steve, is that word of mouth is the most important thing in business that nobody pays any attention to. Like we all all want word of mouth, and I think we all know that it is an important way to grow a business, although we probably undervalue it. The, The data show that word of mouth is responsible, at least in part, for between 50 and 91% of all purchases, depending on your type of business. So that's a pretty significant driver of growth and of success. Yet it's the only thing that we don't ever have a strategy for, which is such a mystery, right? It's so important, yet we just sort of take it for granted. We're so laissez-faire about word of mouth. It's it's mind-boggling to me because you've got a marketing plan and you've got a content marketing plan. You might have a social media plan. You might have a public relations plan. You might have a crisis plan or a HR and recruiting plan, a customer service plan. Nobody has a word of mouth plan. We just were like, yeah, our customers are going to talk about us. Well, are they? And if so, what are they going to say? So what Daniel and I set to do in this book was to give every business person, large or small, B2B, B2C, a reliable, practical, achievable framework for doing word of mouth on purpose instead of doing it on accident?
1: You know, this is a big problem. Um, And we hear it from people that we work with all the time that they come to us because they're looking for, you know, some system to, to attract customers. Almost every one of them tells me when we ask them, well, what's working now and what's not working? And the answer to both questions is almost always word of mouth.
0: Yeah. You right.
1: know, I mean, they, literally they yeah. tell us, well, yeah, that's kind of working for us because we do get customers that way, but it's not really working because we're not getting them enough and not predictably enough. And and uh, and when you begin to talk with a business owner about this, the things that I hear are, well, but I mean, we we don't have a whole lot of influence over it. It just sort of happens organically, you know, and I think that's why people are drawn towards some of the types of, of customer acquisition where they... You know, they can see this sort of defined process. I put, you know, money towards this and theoretically, you know, I get client or customer out the other end. Um, How do you, when you're talking with a business owner, how do you get them to understand that they do have influence? And we'll we'll get in, I think, later into how to influence it. But how do you get over that initial mindset where they don't believe it? I, mean, I think the
0: key is to is to help people think like consumers. We're so good at this in business, right? We we forget how we behave as consumers, and every business person is a consumer first and a business person second, but we tend to forget that fact. Like I don't know everybody listening, I probably know some people listening, but I know this for a fact, Steve. Nobody listening right now has ever said, Hey, let me tell you about this perfectly adequate experience I just had. Like nobody says that because it's a boring story. And Word of mouth is all about customers telling your story. So this idea that if you just run a good business, people will talk about it, doesn't hold any water because competency doesn't create conversation. Nobody says, yeah, it was a good restaurant because every restaurant is at least good. All your competitors are good. If you want to create conversations and do so reliably, you have to accept the premise that same is lame, that you have to do something different that your customers notice. That becomes the propellant, of of your word of mouth strategy, as opposed to just sort of focusing on, uh, you know, on, on not being bad. That's, that's not enough. Not being, you know, competency, um, isn't, isn't in and of itself noteworthy unless everybody else is incompetent, which I don't think you can assume.
1: No, I, I don't think you can assume that. And I think, uh, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we don't look at, at the way that we, we behave. We're, we're constantly creating word of mouth as business owners ourselves, but for other folks. So I, I wanna dive into the kind of the meat of the book. Before we do that, I wanna take a quick break. We're gonna come back and talk with Jay, and he's broken this whole idea of how to create word of mouth down into a, a process that you can begin to wrap your arms around and do something practical about, which I think is the most important thing. So stay tuned, we'll be right back. you can find instructions there and links that will take you right to where you need to go to review the podcast. Thanks so much. Now, back to the interview. Welcome back. This is Steve Gordon. I'm talking with Jay Bear. He's the uh, author of the new book, Talk Triggers. Jay, um, walk us through your framework. I mean, word of mouth is this nebulous thing that we think we don't have any influence over. Walk us through your framework for, for creating word of mouth.
0: And it really is a framework. And I should say this too, that, that that's the key to this book and why this book exists. Like you don't need me and my co-author Daniel to, to, to write a book uh, about word of mouth being important. There's lots of great books about that already although not everybody follows that advice, but still there's a lot of other good books out there about word of mouth being important. And we do that too. But I think where we really have, have added something to the conversation, hopefully, is giving people a, a system where they can actually do word of mouth uh, with intent, as opposed to sort of hoping for the best and, and buying a word of mouth lottery ticket every day. So the book is structured in a four, five, six system. It's the four requirements of a talk trigger the five types of talk triggers, and the six-step process for creating, implementing, testing, and measuring a talk trigger. And I should start off and just define a talk trigger, which is a strategic operational difference that compels word of mouth. It's something that you do differently that your customers talk about. And, And the fact that it's an operational difference, I think is really important, Steve, because a talk trigger is not really marketing. Now it creates marketing advantages for sure, but it's not a price. It's not a product. It's not a promotion. It's not a coupon, a contest, a campaign. It's something that you do different. It's an operational decision, a choice that you make in your business that your customers don't expect and that they talk about, but that's not the same as let's have a sale.
1: Yeah, no, completely different. And I love that you've broken it down this way. And you start off with the the four talk triggers criteria. Mm. Um, and, and you, you list those out. You, you talk about be remarkable, be relevant, uh, be reasonable. But my favorite one is be repeatable
0: and my favorite one too.
1: actually. Yeah. And so, um, talk us through the kind of at a high level those, but particularly with be repeatable, because I think this is where a lot of the word of mouth, you know, thinking falls down for people is they think, well, it's, it's all one off.
0: Yeah, when we think word of mouth, today, uh, when we hear those words, we oftentimes think some sort of uh, big, bold, crazy stunt, right? Like, let's do something to get people talking. And, and that's not the same as a talk trigger or a word of mouth strategy. In fact, it's often called now in marketing circles, especially social marketing circles, where I, I roll around a lot, uh, this idea, and I'm throwing up the air quotes now, surprise and delight, the notion of surprise and delight, Steve, is that you take one customer in a particular circumstance and you purposely treat that customer differently. You do something grand for them, a, 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 a colossal gesture. Hotels uh, try this gambit quite a bit. So somebody checks into the hotel and they realize that there's a live panda bear in the room and a eucalyptus tree, like, oh, my God. And they're hoping that somebody's going to share that in social media and it's going to go viral and then MSNBC will pick it up or whatever. That might work, but it's only going to work once. And then after it's done working, however you want to define that, what are you left with? Not a lot. And it also very much might not work. So it is kind of like buying a lottery ticket. It, It really isn't a reliable strategy. And I also feel like purposely treating customers differently can backfire because the next person who checks into the hotel is like, hey, man, where's my panda bear? Right? That customer then feels less than, not more than. So we prefer the reliable, systematic, day-by-day blocking and tackling approach of a talk trigger where every single customer has access to this differentiator uh, that you are known for. I need to use a hotel example, one of the most famous and, and most persistent talk triggers in the world is the warm chocolate chip cookie that Doubletree Hotels gives you when you check into the hotel. They've been doing this for 30 years and today they bake and hand out 75,000 cookies a day worldwide. That is a tremendous amount of talkable uh, activity. In fact, we, we did a lot of research for this book. And one of the projects that we undertook was to interview Doubletree customers. And we found that more than a third of them, more than a third of each customer group mentions that cookie to somebody else proactively without being asked. So that's what propels the brand forward on a related note. When's the last time you saw a Doubletree ad? Like you probably haven't because they don't do a lot of advertising. The cookie is the ad and the guests are the marketing department. And that's when you know you've got
1: a word of mouth strategy that works. Yeah, it's funny. I, I stay in Trees periodically and, and uh, our son has stayed with us in one before our youngest. And he'll ask if I'm going on a business trip, are you going to the cookie hotel?
0: Oh, nice! That's perfect. It works. Perfect example, right? They they doesn't know anything else about it. Uh, It's the Cookie Hotel. Yes, you nailed it. That's it.
1: Well, that's great. So, the other principle that you talk about in here is be reasonable. What do you mean by that? That's that. Sometimes in this
0: climate, especially, and I would say this is true in the last three to five years more than perhaps it had been true prior. Your competition for attention is unprecedented. And, and consumers of all stripes have the technology and the capability to really tune you out in, in ways that, that were really not present before. So what happens a lot today is that marketers and business people will say, boy, we're really having a hard time breaking through. So what we should, should do uh, is, is make it really, really big. Like let let's have a contest and everybody enters and somebody's gonna win an island, right, or some crazy thing like that, right? So if I say Steve, you get a car and you get a car and you get a car, who says that? Oprah. Oprah says that. Who else can say that? No Nopra. one I can think of. No Oprah. No Oprah is the answer. Nopra. Nobody else. Uh, nobody else can get away with it, right? So when when you when you when you deliver to your customers an experience that is too grand too big. The large yes factor is too much. What it creates is not conversation. It creates suspicion. And the conversation that it creates is around your terms and conditions. And people are like, well, wait a second. What's like, when's the other shoe going to drop here? What, what are the strings attached to this? So you don't have to make it big. I mean, let's go back to Doubletree, incredibly successful. And it's a good cookie right? I mean, as, as cookies given to me by hotel standards go, it's probably the best I've been given, but it's still just a cookie, right? They're not, they're not giving me a kidney or a car or even a popcorn popper, right? It's a chocolate chip cookie. So your, your talk trigger doesn't have to be big and it probably shouldn't be big. It just has to be something that people notice.
1: I think that's really important. And I'm, I'm so glad that you put that into the book. Um, you know, I've, I've written a book on referrals. I've read probably every book on referral and word of mouth that, that I could get my hands on. And, and in some of them, they advocate for this kind of over the top experience, you know, and and go and create that. But I, I, I love to boil things down to like, what can you actually implement? Because if you can't implement it, it's the greatest idea ever that is worthless to you right? But if you can actually take it down to something that now in your business, wherever you are, at whatever stage you're at, with whatever team you have, you can implement it on a, on a consistent basis, then you've got something. And I think you addressed both of those with be reasonable and be repeatable. Now, Thanks.
0: And, and, and again, I just want to make sure people understand, I'm not suggesting that that, that approach of kind of taking the, you know, taking the home run swing is, is a failed idea. It's just that it's not a reliable strategy. I,
1: I'm not, I, I don't necessarily think it's a failed idea, but for the average everyday business in America or in the world, it's not as accessible as something where like what you're describing here is, Completely. What, yeah, what can Completely. you do day in, day out? Uh, yep. And and I think that's really critical and, and I'm, I'm really happy that you see that approach. So then, you, you talk about these five different types of, of talk triggers. I think this is probably one of the most important parts of the book. Um, can you kind of walk us through those?
0: Yeah, we wanted to make sure that people could understand that, that, that it's not just one way that you can execute on this because, again, it's an operational choice, and that operational choice Um, can be implemented in a lot of different elements of your business, depending on kind of what makes sense to you or how you're structured. But we thought it would be useful to have a taxonomy of these so that a people can, can uh, find their own uh, easier. And also so they can notice them in the wild right now that you kind of go through the book, like, Oh, that's a talk trigger. And it's this kind people will start to to see them. So uh, the one that we encounter most often, because it's the easiest to implement in a business is talkable generosity. So that's when you do something more generous than your customers expect, i.e. a free warm chocolate chip cookie at check-in at Doubletree, right? That is talkable generosity. But there's other kinds. That one is definitely the most common. There's other kinds. There's talkable empathy, where you're more warm and human and, and kind than customers expect. You have talkable uh, speed, where you're more responsive than customers expect. You have talkable usefulness, where you're more useful than your customers expect. Uh, and, 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 and you have talkable attitude, which is where you're just a little different than customers expect. Usually it's uh, funnier uh, or or just sort of more carefree than they anticipate. All of those can work. And we've got examples, of course, um, of companies large and small from all over the world in the book uh, and we're really careful to try and use examples that people haven't heard before. Um, it, you know, so it's not, we're not trotting out, you know, Amazon or Zappos or Apple or, you know, all the usual marketing tropes. We we really tried to find stuff that people haven't thought of before.
1: Yeah. I, I, and you've done that very well. And this, in my mind, the reason I said this is I think the most important part of the book is it, it gives people a really concrete way to think about this, you know, and 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 instead of just saying, Oh God! What am I going to do to, you know, to become more talkable to, to create this? You've given them boxes to kind of work in, and uh, I'd love if you could share a few examples from you know from the book and, and yeah, you kind of illustrate how this has been applied by some businesses.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a, a couple uh, on the talkable empathy side. Um, small business example: Professional services. My friend, Dr. Glenn Gorab, and Glenn's an oral surgeon in Clifton, New Jersey. So he operates in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut tri-state area. There's hundreds, literally hundreds, of oral surgeons in his region. He is the highest rated among them, and also the only one out of all of them who's never been sued. Now, this is uh, despite the fact that, by his own admission, he is not the best surgeon. He says, "Yeah, I'm I'm quite good, but I'm not the best." but I do have the best relationship with my patients. And and here's why, Steve, it's his talk trigger. Every Friday, Glenn's office staff gives him a list of names and phone numbers. Every Saturday, he calls the people on that list and he says, hi, I'm Glenn. I'm your oral surgeon. I understand that you're coming into the office for the very first time next week. Do you have any questions before you get here? And people can't believe it because if you've had an oral surgery procedure, you may have had your surgeon uh, call you afterwards. Like, you know, are you bleeding to death um, is usually what they're checking on. And, and so that's nice, but but that's expected. But you have never had a physician call you before you ever set foot in the office. It's It's simply not done. But why isn't it? I mean, it, it makes such a statement about your your desire and your caring and, uh, and, and your values. Uh, and, and Glenn says that every single day, every day, he gets patients making an appointment who say, I have to drive 12 miles out of my way. I have to pass up dozens and dozens of other oral surgeons, but I want to visit you because you're the doctor who called my friend Shirley
1: before she ever came to the office. I love that. I mean, I, you could take that story and, and translate oh. it to almost any industry, but particularly in medicine, right? They don't even call oh, well, or, or, you. Know, or law, in, or,
0: right? yeah. any professional service, law, accounting, real estate agent. I mean, line them up. Everybody should do it, but nobody does.
1: Well, and, yeah. they've, and they've built
0: a system that's yeah. simple. It's an operational choice. They choose to call customers before they come in. Absolutely. Every talk trigger is that. It's an operational choice. Uh, I'll give you another one, business to business. This is one that uh, I, I really, it just really tickles me because I think the strategy is so smart. It's a company called Windsor One, which is a manufacturer of high-end wooden trim. So they make like uh, crown molding and baseboards and wainscoting and chair rails and all that jazz. So their customers are are, are finished carpenters, master craftsmen. Now, like a lot of manufacturers, they they create a bunch of different products, sizes and shapes and colors and trims. One of their challenges as a business, as is true for a lot of manufacturers, is making sure their customers understand the full breadth of the product line. Well, what they used to do, Steve, is they would spend about a half a million dollars a year on magazine ads in the trades, you know, Carpenter Today or whatever. I don't know what it's called. Each of those magazine ads was essentially a mini brochure, a mini product catalog. Well, we make this one and we make this one and this one's in the new golden oak stain or whatever. Well, they spent all this money and had a tracking phone number on all the ads. Didn't get any calls. They were never getting any calls. But they were like, well, we, this is just what we do. Like, well, what if we instead used a talk trigger? So now, every single Windsor One board that they manufacture on the reverse side of the board has a stamp. And the stamp says, prime all of your cuts, which is good advice when cutting something. And then it says, call Kurt for a shirt. Eight 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 seven seven nine twenty seven hundred. So you're there with your saw, and then you look down. And you're like, "Huh, who is Kurt?" And curiosity gets the best of you, as it does, and you call the phone number. First ring pickup. Hey, this is Kurt. I'm like, whoa, real person. I was like, "Hello." I'm like, this is Kurt. Um, who's this? Oh, it's Jay. Jay, what are you doing? Uh, well, I'm uh, I'm working on a church renovation in Indiana. Yeah. Hey, you a fat guy, Jay? Like, uh, <laughs> excuse me, Kurt? He's like, oh, I got to figure out what kind of shirt to get you. It's like, uh, I'm like, oh, I'm like an XL. He's like, oh, you got anybody else working on your crew? I'm like, yeah, I got five other guys. How fat are they? Well, it depends. Takes down all the orders for the shirt sizes. Then says, Jay, what kind of products are you working with? Well, we're working with the 816 trim board here and the fourteen two 2 crown molding. It's like, yeah, that's cool. Did you know that we also have this new one? Blank, 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 blank. blank. You see. Kurt is the head of inside sales for Windsor One. So he has a whole conversation about the products I'm using today and the other products I might want to consider. Finishes the phone call, FedExes to the job site, all the t-shirts, and samples of every product we discussed on the phone. Company has doubled in size. They now don't do any ads, but they have printed out in the last two or three years 50,000 t-shirts that say got wood on the front. That's brilliant. How many Kurt's do they have to have? They just have one Kurt. Dude is one guy. He's <laughs> wow. one guy. Yeah, and he, that's like all he does all day. One you guy.
1: Know, what, every time I hear these things, uh, what, what's always so striking about them is they are so simple.
0: I mean, just- Every good things one things. is simple. Yeah, it's every just good so one. I got a new one. You'll love this. I like got a new one. Is in the, it's not in the book because I heard about it later. That's the thing that's so frustrating too because I'm doing keynotes about this all over the world and stuff. And every time someone comes up to me afterwards, a Q&A, and is like, oh, Jay, I got this great idea. Have you heard about this one? I'm like, no. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could rewrite the book because there's all these new ones that keep popping up. I think I might have to start a podcast, right? Just, you know, each week talk about a new one. So they, <laughs> I'm already laughing because I like it so much. Guy comes up to me, and this is like three weeks ago in Seattle. He's like, Jay, have you heard of this one? I'm like, tell me the story. There's a, a doctor in Seattle. He's a surgeon also, but he only does vasectomy surgeries. And his name is Dr. Snip. <laughs> now, that, that in and of itself is great, but that's not the talk trigger, Steve. Here's what happens. On the way out the door, every single patient is given an engraved silver Pocket knife that says Doctor Snip on it. So you can imagine, three weeks later, you're playing golf, you're on your boat, you're watching football with your fellas, and you you open a beer with your knife. And your friend, you know, Billy's like, Dude, that's a sweet knife. Where'd you get? He's like, Oh, this knife. I got this knife from Doctor
1: Snip, the vasectomy surgeon. That is gold. That is gold. That's hilarious. Isn't that great? That's awesome. That's what, what I love about it is you can actually be creative and you can be human. And with all of these, uh, particularly, I, you know, you, you talk about talkable empathy and, and I think they, these things can probably overlap one another. In other words, you combine uh, yes. some of these ideas. Yeah, some of
0: them end up, some of them end up being in, in a couple of categories for sure.
1: Yeah. And that's and, fine. And That's yeah, totally fine. You can be totally human with it, you know, and have mm-hmm. a little fun with it and, um, and, and, Give someone something that is just, you know, the perfect thing to get them talking about you. Um, it's brilliant. So so now that we know all this, we know that there are the, the five types of tra- talk triggers and the, the, the four different kind of qualities of a, of a talk trigger. Um, how do we create them? How do we come up with them? Here's the wrong way to do it,
0: which is to get everybody in a conference room and just riff. And I hear this all the time. From people who, who might um, be familiar with the talk triggers concept, but maybe don't know the process part. And, like, okay, we're going to get everybody together and we're going to have a brainstorm and come up with our talk trigger. I'm like, no, because if it was that easy, you'd already have one. Right. If all, if all it required was everybody in the conference room and buying pizza, you'd already have one. So, what we have to do instead is really understand customers in a way that most people, frankly, don't today. What we recommend, and this is the exact same process, the process in the book is the same process that my team and I at Convince and Convert use when we create talk trigger strategies for, for companies uh, all over the world. It's the exact same process. We just gave it away. So what you do is you first document all the different touch points, inflection points that you have with the customer. So you have, you, you create a customer journey map, it's often called, uh, of all the different things that, that the customer interacts with you. Then what you want to do is interview three sets of customers. You want to do telephone interviews, ideally, with new customers, with long-standing, long-term customers, and with lost customers, people who, who bailed recently or maybe never signed up at all. And for each of those groups, you want to ask, at each of those touch points, what did they expect would happen? You're trying to map customer expectations to the customer journey because once you know that, Steve, once I know what the customer expects, I by definition know what they don't expect and the difference between what they expect and what they don't expect is where the talk trigger lives. So one of the things that, that you could do in a, in a business like mine, I don't do this, full disclosure, we don't do this, but we should, maybe we will. It's very common in a consulting business like mine. Uh, one of the key inflection points is the customer gets a proposal, right? You send them a proposal. So if you asked customers, you'd say, okay, what do you expect when you get a proposal? Well, typically they would say, well, we expect that you would take a proposal, maybe save it as a PDF, attach it to an email, and email us the proposal for us to look at. That's, that's the typical perfunctory way that that step in the process is handled. Well, what if instead, Steve, that you know you every time you're in that situation, you sent that prospective customer a sheet cake. And the frosting of that sheet cake was made to look like the cover of your proposal. The proposal itself was printed out and put in a laminated sleeve underneath the cake so that in order to get at your proposal, your prospective customer had to eat an entire sheet cake. Now, would that create conversation? Would that be a talk trigger? Would that customer tell their friends about your proposal? Yeah, yes, they
1: doubt. yes they
0: would yes they would yeah yes they would so could you do that hell yeah you could do that you could absolutely do that you could start doing that tomorrow it's just an operational choice but in order to figure that out and to do it the right way it really helps to understand what your customers expect at each of those steps because they're like oh that's boring. What can we do that's not boring? For example, my business card, the actual business card that I carry and hand out and have for 10 years, is a steel bottle opener. It's an actual metal bottle opener. And I've given out thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of them. They cost me $3 a piece, which is more than a typical business card. But all the time, people come up to me and say, Jay, I got your business card at a conference seven years ago, and it's in my golf bag. Or, Jay, I still have your business card. I keep it in my boat. And I'm like, man, I don't care where you keep it, but if you can see me and on site tell me where my business card is amongst all of your worldly possessions, that's a talk trigger.
1: That's, that's awesome. Such you just great take insight.
0: something boring and make it not
1: boring. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Such great insights. Well, Jay, where can folks find out more about the book, find out more about you and the work you're doing? Where where should they begin kind of discovering more about you?
0: Go to talktriggers.com because we have tons and tons and tons, probably too much, frankly, of totally free information there. We've got a six-step process summary uh, for doing your own Talk Triggers. We have a PowerPoint presentation about Talk Triggers you can download. We have a book club discussion guide. We have infographics. We have a 30-page research report all of that for free at talktriggers.com. So that's definitely the best place to go. You can find more about me at convinceandconvert.com. And, and quickly, Steve, I'll mention this. It wouldn't be a book about word of mouth if we didn't have Talk Triggers in the book itself, right? That would be kind of absurd. So two things. One, the cover of the book uh, includes a, a giant picture of, of two alpacas uh, talking to one another. So if you see a business book, And on that cover is alpacas. It's almost assuredly the the right book. Uh, You won't see any other business books that look like this one. And second, on the back of the book, Steve, it says this. Satisfaction guaranteed. If you bought this book and didn't like it, go to talktriggers.com and send the authors a note. They will buy you any other book of your liking. And we will, if you buy this book and you don't like it and you want, I don't know, a first edition Bible, we'll figure it out. We'll, we will get you whatever book you want. So there's literally no reason to not buy this book because you have quite literally no
1: risk whatsoever. Yeah. And I will tell you, you'll like it. It's a good book. It's it's going to be one that uh, if you get it, you're going to hang on to it. Um, and uh, I know it's one we're going to be dissecting and, and uh, just fantastic stuff. We got to tell much. you about
0: your talk trigger before we go, Steve.
1: What is, what's our talk, talk trigger? Okay,
0: so, so I have been a guest on hundreds of podcasts in my career. I have hosted a podcast every week for eight years. We're on episode 350 or some darn thing like that. Steve sent me in the mail before this show an entire printed out kit that says how to prepare for your interview on the Unstoppable CEO podcast with tips on how to make this a good conversation, questions that he might ask, how the show was formatted. It was absolutely extraordinary. I've never, ever, ever received something like this in my entire life. Uh, and it is a perfect example and one that I'll be sharing everywhere of talkable Usefulness, which is one of the five types, so Steve, Bravo to you and the team. It is uh, extraordinary, thank
1: you well, thank you, yeah, we actually do that. we you know for many of our clients, we produce podcasts for them as a way for them to connect with the people they want to do business with and um, and that's really where that came from. We wanted to create a situation for our clients where when they were connecting with someone, that it was a memorable experience that it was unlike anything that they'd ever um, you know, experience before and, and we certainly will, you know, continue to, to enhance it. But, uh, I appreciate you, that you, uh, sharing that. That's, uh, I know that's something that, that the team will, uh, enjoy cause they've worked hard on it.
0: Well, I'll be, I'm going to start talking about it in my presentation. So well done.
1: All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank, thank you again, uh, Jay, for investing some time with me. Um, great book, talk triggers, uh, we'll be linking to that in the show notes and, uh, Hope everybody enjoyed this. This is one you're going to want to take notes from and uh, and go put into action in your business. Go create some word of mouth for yourself. Jay, thanks again for being here. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating on iTunes at unstoppableceo.net
1: forward slash iTunes.